want to share with you a, um, first of all, um, with permission, we're going to dedicate this learning, Zrat Hashem, um, uh, someone here's grandmother, I don't know if I can mention his name, um, someone whose grandmother took ill recently, and uh, I don't know her Hebrew name, um, so I'm not going to say her Hebrew name, but we should have in mind that this, uh, he knows who he is and he knows who she is, that this uh, shear and the learning tonight should be for a for her, it should be a schus for her, Bezrat Hashem, that, uh, that she should be healthy, Bezrat Hashem. We should get good news, it should all be a big mistake, Bezrat Hashem. Um, I'll tell you an amazing story. I don't know if I share with you the story, but it doesn't matter even if I did, because it's such an amazing story. Um, Zvika Gringold uh, was actually away. He wasn't even, um, if I'm not mistaken, and I may be getting this wrong, I actually think when it broke out, he was on the beach. And he started to listen to the news, and he realized that something was really wrong. So the system back then was very different. Today, if God forbid there are hostilities, every Miloim unit, every reserve duty soldier, knows exactly what to do, how to do it, where to go. If he's a tanker, he knows where his tank is. It's all under tarp with all the gear in it. Like, it's all ready to roll, right? Um, he can either listen to the radio for certain code words that mean his unit is being called up, or more likely he'll get an SMS. And there are exercises that, that do this. That, you know, you have to do an exercise, you get a message, you have to drop what you're doing, show up someplace, takes like three hours out of your day, and then you go back to work, like just to see how quickly a unit can get to where they need to get to. But in 1973, it wasn't like that. 1973 was chaos. And the fact that on Yom Kippur, Tzvika was on the beach, right? Um, kind of tells you, you know, this isn't the likely hero of, you know, Sefer Shmot or Dvarim. But um, he was a tank commander, and he realized that things were pretty bad. So he got in his car, and he drove north, and he got to um, Masade, I believe, and they were collecting anybody they could collect. And somebody asked him, you know, do you know where we're going? Do you know what we're doing? And they started talking, and he said he's a tank driver. And then Svika met someone else. He said he's a tank loader. So he grabs four guys, gets in a car, and he drives to Nafach, which is the forward tank base on the Golan. And he pushes his way around, and he gets a tank. And then he puts together another crew, and they get two tanks. And they just drive out of the front gate. Now... You know, like, that's crazy. You're supposed to be part of a unit. You're supposed to know which battalion you're in. You're supposed to know which frequency you're in, right? He has no frequency. He has no unit. He doesn't know exactly what's going on or where it is. But the reports coming in are pretty bad. And he knows enough to realize that they're hopelessly outnumbered, that the Israeli army has caught their pants down. So he goes out with two tanks, okay? And he very quickly finds himself in the northern Golan, facing hundreds of tanks. And he realizes, right, first of all, he finds a frequency that nobody's using, and he tells the other tank, this is an easy thing to do, he just yells out, like, across, you know, 100 yards to the other tank, listen, get on, you know, 4890. And they get on the frequency, nobody else is on the frequency, and he says, okay, you know, right, okay? And he says to him, he yells out before they go, he goes, I'm going to call you different names. 
I'm going to call you David. I'm going to call you Boaz. I'm going to call you Koach. When you hear, right, Kod Kod Tzvika, then you know I'm talking to you because there isn't anybody else. And they set out to find the enemy and engage. And he calls himself Koach Tzvika, right? Now, in radio parlance, right, you don't say Koach Tzvika, you say Tachanot Zam Kan Zam, you know, these Zam station, whatever, every, every battalion has its code name, every p- company has its code name. There are no code names for units that are smaller than, than a company. So you wouldn't have less than 11 to 15 vehicles, tanks, whatever, on a code name. And the Syrians know this. So he's Koch Tzvika. He must be at least a company. Okay? And then he finds ways to call this other tank a different company, a different battalion. And they engage hundreds of tanks. And basically what they did was, for an entire night, they go up into Emdot. They fire two tanks. They take a few tanks out. They go down. They drive 100 yards. They go up again. They take out a couple more tanks. The Syrians have no idea who they're fighting because by this time it's nightfall. So it's a warfare. Later after the war, they will discover that the Syrians were sure that they were fighting at least a division. And that's because (coughs) they were a division. They were a division of the Presidential Guard of Damascus, led by Rifat Assad. And Rifat Assad was determined that before they moved forward, that they shouldn't be caught in an ambush, (coughs) that they had to engage this division and fight this battle. So for the entire night, these two tanks engaged an entire division of Syrian tanks. By the end of the next day, they will have taken out 23 tanks. At one point, Tzvika's tank gets blown out from under him. He's blown off the tank. He's wounded, but he gets back. He runs to the other tank, and he gets on that tank, and he kicks off his sergeant. Then they find another tank. He switches tanks three times. He loses two of his crews. But he continues fighting for the better part of 19 hours. And in that process, he takes out 23 tanks. His name was Tzvika Gringold. He is awarded, obviously, the highest military honor. By the end of the Yom Kippur War, he becomes a legend. Can you imagine? You've got to be out of your mind. He's, he's, eight men took on an entire division. And they took on an entire division because one man decided they had no choice. What do you even do with a story like that? So I want to share you an interesting piece from the beginning of this week's parsha. This week's parsha, parsha Vaira, is is strange in the way it begins because it begins in the middle of a conversation which you don't usually have right Parshat Noach begins with the conversation that Hashem has with Noah right Parshat Breshit doesn't end with a conversation it, it prepares you for the conversation that's about to happen and that's the next portion that's the next parsha, right Lech Lecha there's no discussion between God and Avraham at the end of Parshat Noach Lech Lecha is a new conversation right Parshat Vayera, Vayera Hashem, right? Vayera Avram, Vuhu Hashem, Bepetach Oel Kachom Ayom, right? Be'elonei Mamrei, is a new conversation. Not this week's parsha. This week's parsha, Vayera, Vaydeber Elohim El Moshe, Vayom Elav Ani Hashem. So, so Kodesh Baruch Hu comes to Moshe, and he says to him, I'm Hashem. Now let's think about this for a minute. Vaydeber Elohim El Moshe. Elohim is talking to Moshe. So, if he's going to introduce himself, he should say, I'm Elohim. So, what does it mean that Elohim says to him, I'm Hashem? 
And what is that doing here? Second of all, we just had a, a, a one-week conversation. Kodesh Baruch Hu is talking to Moshe Rabbeinu at the snap. We're in the middle of a conversation here. And all of a sudden Hashem says to him, Ani Hashem. So that makes no sense. Like, obviously I know you're Hashem because I've been talking to you for a week. Okay. Then it gets more interesting. Okay? I appeared to Avram and Yitzchak and Yaakov as Kel Shindaladyut. Shindaladyut is one of the names of Hashem. Uh, the Ibn Ezra says, Milat Shaddai Kasheh Beferush, Veatam Sheamar Leolam Dai. That name is the name that appears when Hashem says enough. There's one opinion that says that we say enough, I'm not going to go there. Something is so bad that Hashem finally has to come along and say enough. By the way, obviously, what is Hashem talking about here? What is enough? Enough what? Enough what? For who? For the Jewish people, enough. The Jewish people have suffered enough. What is that doing here? And if I appeared to Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov as Kel Shakai, like, it would make sense to me if he said, now I'm coming, because now it's enough. So that's a little strange. Ushmi Hashem lo nodati lahem. And the name Yudke Vavke, I did not use. I did not appear to him. I promise you, if I gave you all 30 seconds, it would not take you more than 30 seconds to find where Hashem appears to Yitzchak, to Yaakov, with the name Hashem. So what does it mean, Shmi Hashem lo nodati lahem? What does that even mean? And I have kept up my covenant with them. And I have fulfilled or kept the covenant that I made with them to give them the land of Canaan. Ask me an obvious question. Simcha Molina, ask me an obvious question. He hasn't done that yet. Right? They're not even close to getting to Canaan. They got a whole exodus to get through. The Jewish people are still suffering in Egypt. What does that even mean? And I, I remember, I remember, I see, I hear, I feel the pain of the Jewish people, which is a difficult concept, but okay. Tell the Jewish people, and this is the Arbala Shonot of Gula, the four languages of redemption that relate to the four cups, and so on and so forth. Now, what is this conversation? What is Hashem telling Moshe Rabbeinu? So this is actually a continuation of the conversation that occurs at the end of Parashat Shemot. Okay? At the end of Shemot, Perak Vav, right? Uh, really the end of Perak Hay. Vayashav Moshe Hashem. So, you know, Hashem is talking to, to, to Moshe. He tells Moshe to go down to Egypt. Moshe goes down to Egypt. Hashem says, you got to go tell Pharaoh to let the Jewish people go. I'm not going to let Pharaoh let the Jewish people go. There's that whole strange dialogue. God, Moshe goes to Pharaoh. Things do not go well, right? Remember the story? Pharaoh doesn't know what Moshe is talking about. He's like, who's the God you're referring to? You know what? Not only am I not going to let your people go, but you're taking me off. So, you know, from now on, let them go figure out how to make bricks without straw. are in anguish over this new, it's not bad enough that they have to be slave labor. Now they've been given an impossible task. They have to wake up early and go find the straw all over the fields. Makes their life even more difficult. 
So Vayashav Moshe Hashem. So Moshe comes back to Hashem. Vayomer Adonai, Lama Hareot Alama Zeh, Velama Zeshlachtani. Why, why are you making this? Why are you making the, the Jewish people suffer so much? Why are you making it worse? And why just send me? Like, what's the point of this if they're just going to suffer? I don't understand. <coughs> Since I've come to power, it's gotten worse. Now they have to go get their own straw. And you haven't saved your people. Okay. So this is an amazing dialogue. Shem tells Moshe to go to Egypt. If you could pick the ultimate example of a person who believes in God, it would be Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe now is having issue with how Hashem is running the world. That's unbelievable. Okay, but on the other hand, who's right here? And it would seem that Moshe is right. God tells Moshe to go to Egypt. Get the Jews out. He goes to Egypt. He goes to Pharaoh. It's not working out. Now you will see Asher Now you will see what I will do to Paro. He's going to let them go. I will get them out with a strong hand. And of course, this leads to next week. What what begins next week? Parsha Vayera. This week, in other words, what major events begin to unfold this week? Right, the plagues. Okay, first seven of the plagues. So let me ask you a question. There's something going on between Moshe Rabbeinu and God. And Moshe's got an issue, and he comes to God. And God says, okay, now you're going to see. We're going to schmeiss him. Now it's going to get good. So if you had to guess, does, does Hashem accept Moshe's argument or not? Mustama. Yeah. Seems so, right? Right? Seems so. Moshe's got some legitimate point. We have to figure out what that point is. And he says, okay, you know what? Now you're going to see. You're right. We're going to schmeiss him. Now that raises a pretty deep theological question. Why now? Why not before? But okay. But Rashi doesn't see it that way. Pshat! The contextual understanding of the verses is very clear. Moshe has a point. Hashem says, now you're going to see it's going to get better. Which means Hashem says, okay, good point. I accept your tefillah. But look at what Rashi says, right? Now you will see that which I will do to Pharaoh, right? Sounds good. Says Rashi, Rashi quotes the Medrash, Medrash Rabbi, You will see what I do to Pharaoh. But you're not going to see what I do to the Canaanite nations when I bring the Jews to Eretz Israel. Now what does that mean? Why doesn't Moshe, why isn't Moshe going to see what Hashem is going to do to the Canaanite nations, obviously? Because Moshe doesn't get into Eretz Israel. Now let's think about this for a minute. This Medrash suggests that the root of the fact that Moshe does not get into Eretz Israel is this dialogue that he has with God. So is what Moshe says to Hashem good or bad? It's bad. So which is it? Pshat says, it's good. Now you're going to see, it's going to get better. Drush, the rabbinic interpretation, says, it's not good. You may see this, but you're not going to see that. We're going to put, you're going to get Shmais too. So obviously what he's saying is bad. So which is it? You don't often find this. You don't find that very often that Pshat, you find that Drush adds a layer to Pshat. 
you don't find that the contextual understanding in the verses is at odds with what the rabbis are saying. And that's what happens here. So how do we understand this, right? So if Nevinsal points out, Moshe actually says two things here. Let's read this again. End of Parashat Shemot. It's really the prelude to the beginning of Parashat Veira. Okay? Moshe says two things. There are two things that Moshe says here. First he says, why would you make it bad for these people? Like, the people are suffering. We've got to stop this. And then he says, if already they're going to suffer, then what's the point of my being? Why'd you send me? This is a waste of my time. So there are two different things that Moshe says. Why'd you make it bad for the Jews? And why'd you send me? Well, I'm not doing anything. It's a waste of time. So if you had to guess, one of these things is accepted by Hashem. It's good. Hashem says, now we're going to get serious. One of these things is not. The Medrash says, hidden in this verse is the fact that Moshe does something not quite right. So Hashem says, therefore, you're going to pay a price for this. You're not going to get there as well. So which of those two arguments would you say is good? That he's worried about the Jewish people or that he's worried about himself? Obviously, he's worried about the Jewish people, right? He cares about the Jewish people. That's a good thing. Moshe Rabbeinu, the Anav, is saying, what are you sending me for? That's not impressive. We've got we to gotta root that out. But interestingly enough, that is not how Chazal see this. Chazal actually see the opposite. These are two questions that we struggle with all the time. One of these questions we struggle with all the time and we're not supposed to struggle with. And one of these questions maybe we don't struggle with enough and we should struggle with. So let's think about this for a minute. What is lama hareota la'amazeh? Why did you make it bad for these people? That's Moshe Rabbeinu questioning God's ways. Now, don't get me wrong. We're not going to sit and judge him. Moshe Rabbeinu, I'd like to sleep well tonight. And, and we can't fully understand. This is a conversation between Moshe Rabbeinu and Kosh Baruch. We're not going to really fully understand it. But as best as we can understand, based on the Farshim, based on that, right, it would seem that there's at least an allusion to the fact that Moshe is struggling with why and how God runs the world. That you can't do. We don't have a right to suggest that Hashem doesn't know what He's doing in the world. We don't even have a right to ask. Now, many have debated this, right? I mentioned to you last week Miriam Peretz, who said to every family at a shiva, right, Miriam Peretz lost two sons, not one, two sons in combat in the army, was any ever a person who understands suffering, she would be up there. And when she goes to the shiva, she makes it her business to try to go to every shiva where a family lost a son in, in, in battle or in the army. And she always tells them, you can't ask Lama. You can say Lama Ani, but you can't ask Lama. You can't question Hashem. There's no answer to that question. It's not going to get you. Elie Wiesel is famous for having said that after the Holocaust, a Jew can affirm God or he can deny God, but he can no longer ignore God. What Elie Wiesel doesn't say is he can't understand God. Who could possibly understand the Holocaust? It's one of those comments that you hear every once in a while. You just scratch your head. The Holocaust happened because, I don't know, it happened because the reform movement, happened because of Bible criticism, it's not an accidental starting Unbelievable the kind of nonsense that people talk about. How could you possibly understand why the Holocaust happened? How could you understand? You can't understand Hashem's ways. That is the, the central theme of Sefer Eov. Okay? And I think that's probably why 
at the beginning of Parshat Va'era, Hashem comes to Moshe and says, Vaydaber Elohim Moshe. Elohim is talking to Moshe. Because Elohim is that aspect of Hashem. We've spoken about this before. Anochi Hashem Elokecha, right? Elohim is, is, is God is the judge, is God where what we do matters, God cares, there are consequences, which means that what I do matter. The, the imminent, the relationship, right? Elohim is God at the burning bush. You know, I, I, I want you to come. Well, I don't want to come, but come on, you should come. What you say matters. So Hashem says, you need to know I am also Hashem. I am Yud Kevavke. I am the name that you cannot pronounce. I am the name that is beyond our understanding. Isn't it interesting that at the beginning of Moshe's journey, the Torah makes the point that we have to understand both those names. In order for Va'era to occur, in order for Hashem to appear in our lives, we have to know that there is that aspect of Hashem which we need to develop a relationship with, we need to try, and there is that aspect of Hashem we can never develop a relationship with. That there is what we can never understand, and there is what we have to understand. Okay. So, so Hashem has an issue with that. And Hashem says, if you question me, you're not going to get into Eretz Yisrael. Right? That's interesting. That's very interesting. Why is the consequence in the Medrash for attempting to understand Hashem, or attempting to question Hashem, and by the way, obviously Moshe does this for the best possible reasons. He cares for the Jewish people. He's in pain over his brethren. I'm not debating that. But why is the concept, is the consequence of not understanding Hashem's ways or questioning Hashem's ways that you don't get into Eretz Yisrael? Anybody want to take a guess? Yeah? Um, the, 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 first, the first Rashi in Torah talks about how like, the, 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 the reason why we have Eretz Yisrael in the first place is because we can't question God, uh, like Hashem's ways. And so there was a natural consequence for questioning Hashem's ways and we're not going to get in there. Okay, I, I, I think that's the right direction. I'd like to take it a little further. Anybody else? Yes. Yeah? Because if the Jews into the Israel were to uh, question Hashem's presence too much, they wouldn't like take actions and decide to leave everything. Okay, I'm going to put together what you said and take it a little further. I think Eretz Israel here represents two things. It represents when, when we get into Eretz Israel, the miracles stop. We have to leave the comfort of the desert. The man stops, the clouds of glory stop, the, the, the well of Miriam stops. Hashem becomes less apparent, right? It's not as clear. And we have to step forward and do our bit. That's one aspect of Eretz Yisrael. But on another level, Eretz Yisrael represents that place where we create a model society, where we're attempting to, to be a light, to create a society based on ethics. If you think that ethics have to make sense, if you think at the end of the day that things are right because I think they're right, you will never be the role model you need to be. Ethics do not last unless they have an authoritarian source. I have to accept. We need to try to understand. We need to develop a relationship. But what we do cannot totally depend on whether it makes sense to us. That is a recipe for disaster. You know, when, when the Age of Enlightenment began, humanism, right? Man was the, the focal point of, of ethical behavior, right? We rose above the animal kingdom and we were the light of morality. And this was supposed to be the generation, this was the first world war was supposed to be the war to end all wars. But that century saw more bloodshed and more destruction than all the other centuries in human history combined. Mao Zedong alone, who, 
who said he would build China over the, the, over the bodies of 100 million Chinese if necessary, very, came very close to doing that. Joseph Stalin murders 30 million people. If ethics depend on what makes sense to us, it doesn't work. So that, that idea, even the smidgen of it, that exists in Moshe's question, that, that will never create what we need to create. That's how I understand that. But let's get to the second question. This is interesting. So if this is true, and one of the questions Hashem takes issue with, and the other question Hashem doesn't, because in, in Pshat we see that Hashem says, now it's going to get better, you will see what I do to Paro. That means that the other answer, the other question Moshe says, the other contention, is actually legitimate. So how do we understand that? Moshe says, Lama Zeshlachtani. Why'd you send me? How could Moshe say, why you send me? Isn't that questioning Kosh Baruch's ways? Not only that, but, but, but Moshe's saying, I don't want to be here. Like, how do you have a right not to want to be sent? So let's think about this, right? What does this mean, right? Does, did Moshe have a choice? Moshe's at the burning bush. Hashem says, I want you to go. Does Moshe have a choice? I mean, if you know God is asking you to do something, then you don't have a choice, right? But Pshat in the Pesach is that's not true. Pshat in the Pesach is Moshe argues with God again and again. And by the way, take a look in Perak Dalid. After Hashem says, after, after Hashem says go and the story of the burning bush ends, Vayashev Moshe al Yeter Chatno, Moshe goes back to Yitro, and Hashem comes to him again and says, Meitu Anashim Hashem Vikshut Nafshem Nafshecha. Right? The, the, the people who hounded you, whatever, whatever's going on there. Moshe, so Hashem, so Moshe knows he has to go down to Egypt, but he still goes back to Yitro. And then Hashem has to come to him again and say, you got to go. So Moshe seems to have a choice. How does Moshe have a choice? Right? So we learn this from Perkevos. What does the mission in Perkevos say? Anybody know which mission I'm thinking of? This is an important mission. This is in Paragdalit. Uh, sorry, Paragimel, Perkevos. A cult safui. Everything is expected. Everything. Everything is planned. But choice is given. You have the ability to choose. So that's obviously a contradiction. By the way, does anybody know who's the author of that statement? He has a number of Mishnayot here in that are attributed to him. Anybody know? Nope. This is powerful. Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva is the one who says, So how do we understand that? Arashutnituna means you have the ability to choose. It may be that Hashem has planned everything. It doesn't matter. Now, there are a lot of different ways to understand this. One way to understand this is, you know, we get to choose what we want. Whether Hashem allows it to happen is a separate issue. It doesn't matter. We're still held responsible for our choices. So there's a Gemara in Psachim, which I've quoted to you, but I decided this time I'll, I'll show you where it's from. It's a Gemara in Psachim, on Dafsamachay, Amad Aleph. Okay? Top of the Amad, if you want to find it. And the Gemara says like this. Rebbe. Now, this is Rebbe Huda Nasi. Whenever you find a statement from Rebbe, he was the Rav. He was called Rebbe, right? He's the editor of the Mishnah. He was the undisputed Gadol Ador of his day. Rebbe Omer, Efshi Le'olam below Bosem below Bursi. The world cannot exist without Bosem and Bursi. One day it says Bursiki. What's Bosem? Bosem is perfume. What's Bursi, you may know? The smell of the tannery. Okay? The smell of the tannery, which we can't fully appreciate, was disgusting, right? 
I guess today's equivalent would be the world cannot exist without, I don't know, nurses and garbage men, right? Somebody's got to take out the trash and somebody gets to save lives, right? You need both. If you don't have sanitation workers, when I was a kid in New York City, there was a, there was a, gar there was a garbage men strike like for weeks, and the garbage bags piled up on the streets, and the stench was unbelievable. People started walking around with masks. It was unbelievable, right? And, and eventually, they won. The union won, because you just, you can't manage with all that garbage. You need garbage men, right? Woe to him, right? Woe to him who has to, who has to be the Borsi, like Nebuch. And praise to see who gets to be the Bosa. So if Nevin said, what does this Gemara really mean? It means the world is going to need certain things. You get to decide whether you want to be Bosim or Borsiki. You get to decide whether you want, you, want to, you, want to, you want to be a vehicle for sweetness or not. Right? A good example of this is a, 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 a Pasuk that I've quoted to you before, the Mitzvah of Ma'aket. Right? If you look at the mitzvah of Ma'akeh, this is in Parashat Kitetze, Ki tivneh bayit chadash, when you build a new house, V'yasita ma'akeh l'galyecha, you have to make a banister on your roof. V'lo tasim damim b'veitecha, that you shouldn't have blood on your house, Ki yipol nafel mimenu, because a person will fall. Right? It's a straightforward mitzvah. Right? You have a house, you have to build a banister, you have to be careful that somebody shouldn't fall. Right? When we put up a new banister, not that long ago, we took out our banister, was like 23 years old, we put up a new glass banister, I got to make a bracha. There's mamash a bracha, there's a bracha to make a ma'akeh. Right, Rav Moshe Feinstein is a tshuva from a Jewish uh, a municipal worker in New York City who was tasked with putting up stop signs. And putting up a stop sign has a din of ma'akeh. You're preventing people from falling, from being hurt. Rav Moshe Paskin did a tshuva, he should make the bracha when he puts up the first sign. Unbelievable, right? But there's something strange about the Pasuk, because the Pasuk says, right, don't let blood be in your house. That the faller will fall from your house. So that's not what it should say. It should say, put up a banister so nobody will fall. That's not what it says. It says, you shouldn't have blood in your house when the faller falls. The fact that somebody falls off a roof is not because you did or didn't put up a banister. If that person is meant to fall and Hashem decides that's his day, then he'll fall. But you shouldn't allow it to be your house. You should want to be the bosom and not the borsiki. So Moshe Rabbeinu is faced with this challenge, right? Kodesh Baruch Hu comes to him, and he says, I want you to go to Mitzrayim. What is Moshe struggling with? Everyone take a guess. What's bothering Moshe? By the way, Hashem tells Moshe to go down to Egypt. How many days does it take Moshe until they finish this old dog, the snack, going to Chazal, am I know? Seven days, right? Good, you were listening, okay. Seven days. Think about this for a minute. Hashem wants the Jewish people to be redeemed. And Moshe pushes off the redemption of the Jewish people for seven days. Think about that. Every beating, every lashing, every baby in the Nile is now on Moshe Rabbeinu. Because how does he have a right to... He should jump. How do you push off Geula? And not only that, but, but Akash Baruch is okay with his saying this. How do you understand that? Anybody want to venture a guess? What's bothering Moshe? Why doesn't Moshe want to go down? You actually know this answer. You just don't realize you know this answer. Pardon? 
Nope. Hashem says go, you go. That's on God. It doesn't fit that Moshe will be afraid of failure. Moshe, something simpler, yeah? Moshe says, why me? He does say, why me? But how is he allowed to say that? What's bothering him? What, you think he's just lazy? No, but he, but he would be the bosom. If he's the one who takes them out of Egypt, that would be the perfume. That's who you want to be. So what would hold him back? Yeah? Oh. Moshe is upset about one thing. The last thing that Moshe says in his argument is, Why are you, why are you sending me? My brother Aaron is down there. He's with them. He, he's in their pain. He stayed there while I ran away. He's their Navi. If I come down and I take over the whole leadership, what's that going to do to Aaron? So what does Hashem answer him? Remember? remember? Aaron will come. You'll see. You don't have to worry about that. Aaron will come out. He will see you. And he will rejoice in his heart. Only Akash Baruch can know whether a person really rejoices in his heart. Now, by the way, there's another good example to demonstrate. What is Simcha? We've said Simcha is all about purpose. What's really going on in that Pasuk? When Aaron sees you, he'll rejoice because he'll understood that there was a purpose. We don't think about what it must have been like for Aaron that his brother, who we must love, leaves him. And leaves for, 30, for 39 years. Right? According to Samdeo. And what was the purpose of that? And why are they suffering? And now when Moshe comes back, Aaron's going to know there was a purpose to all this. The end is finally coming. So he'll rejoice. Because Aaron isn't about Aaron. Aaron is about Amisrael. So how does Moshe Rabbeinu have a right to push off the Geula just because of Aaron? So I want you to hear this well. Hashem says the Jewish people are going to get out of Egypt. They're going to get out of Egypt. And they're going to get out of Egypt on the day that they're meant to get out of Egypt whether Moshe goes or he doesn't Moshe doesn't have to worry about pushing off the Geula because the Geula will happen, the redemption will occur when it's time. No one individual holds up the redemption of the Jewish people. So Moshe isn't worried about that. Moshe knows the redemption is coming and he knows it's going to happen on a certain day. And the only question is, who will be the one to bring about the redemption? Moshe says, if I have to bring about the redemption, I know that if I don't go, you'll find someone else because you promised everyone you have to redeem them. But if my doing this causes one person, Nach Aaron, pain, it's not worth it. You could find someone who won't cause Aaron pain. That his own brother comes, his younger brother. That's as a Kodesh Baruch who is legitimate. I should want to be the bosun. I should want to do whatever it is I want to do without causing another human being. Now think about this. The entire redemption of the Jewish people is, is almost put off because one Jew doesn't want to cause pain to another Jew. Think about how this whole story started. How did the Jewish people get into <coughs> such a mess that they're down in Egypt? Because one group of Jews threw their brother in a pit. Now another Jew, 200 plus years later, says, I would give up all the honor I would give up every Vaidabera Shalomoshali more. It would have been a different Torah. It would have been Vaidabera Shamalaronli more. I'll give up all that. I'll give up Kabbalah Satara. I'll give it all up. Just not to cause my brother pain. What a powerful message. That's a Zakarish Parhu. That's a worthy response.
You know, that's a worthy response. And by the bosom and the bursiki. You know, do we are we vehicles for good? Like what Hashem has planned, has planned. It's gonna be what it's gonna be. You know, whether we get sick or whether we're healthy. Whether we get vaccinated or we don't get vaccinated. Whether the yeshiva opens or the yeshiva closes. That's all part of Hashem's plan. But am I a vehicle for Bosom or am I a vehicle for Bursi? The, the, the Jewish people take, the Gemara takes uh, Sancheirev to task. Calls him one of the great wicked men in the world. Right? He exiles the ten tribes. He, he, he spread, we're going to finish. He spreads them all across the world. He, he destroys sort of a major part of Am Yisrael. He built he, he confuses them. He's a terrible, right? He's a vicious, brutal. So the Gemara says, wait a second. The Navi says the reason that the Jewish people were exiled, the Tentra, is because of what we did. There was meant to be an exile, and, and we were meant to suffer. For whatever the reason, we needed that. So what are you blaming Sancherev? So the Gemara says, Hashem determined that that had to happen. But Sancherev was chosen because he allowed himself to become that Russia. Whatever's going to be is going to be. But where I fit on that wagon, that's up to me. I get to think about whether I'm Bosem or I'm Borsaki. And that's not just in the big pictures. That's not just about, you know, whether you serve the Jewish people or you serve yourself, whether you go to the army, you go to college, like all those different kinds of questions. This is about just the simplest, you know. If your roommate is meant to wake up and Hashem has decided he's going to wake up at 2 in the morning, then he's going to wake up at 2 in the morning. Now, he could wake up at 2 in the morning because Hashem woke him up because he has to go to the bathroom. Or he could wake up at 2 in the morning because you're yelling down the hall, screaming. He didn't wake up because you were screaming. He woke up because Hashem decided he's going to wake up. But the fact that you were the vehicle for his waking up, that's what you have to struggle with. That means you allowed yourself to become the person that Hashem could make, that vehicle. And that's our challenge. Right? To be the bosom and not to be the borsaki. Svika Gringold is a lot in a car with a few guys driving up to the Golan. What's going to be is going to be. Right? The Jewish people, we shouldn't be here. We really shouldn't be here. It's just unbelievable that we're here. I mean, there were 25 tanks in Emek Abachar against 650 Syrian tanks. That's ridiculous. So Tzvika Gringold should say, I'm stark. I'm going to go to the base managers and I'm going to learn. And I'm going to dive in. Because if Akash Baruch Hu wants the Jewish people to survive, they're going to survive. And if Akash Baruch Hu wants the Jewish people to be destroyed, they'll be destroyed. There's nothing to do with me. So I'll go down and I'll go learn. Or he could be part of the Bosem. He could say, it still doesn't necessarily make a difference. But if the Jewish people are going to be destroyed, I'm going to be a vehicle for them not being destroyed. It's that simple. In every moment, every one of us has the opportunity to think about where we fit into this puzzle. And, and I think it's interesting, Parshat Ve'era is not the beginning, that's Shemot. And it's not the end, that's Bo and Shalach. It's the middle. It's when things aren't clear. It's when you're in the midst of it all that you have to take a pause and recognize that while Yudke Vavke runs the world, what we do still makes a difference. And that balance is exactly the dialogue at the beginning of this week's Parsha. So that's a little bit of food for thought on Parshat Ve'era. Okay.